0: on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic comps, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, acclaimed novelist Kate Kessler joins me in the interrogation room to clear up a few things about her writing and craft. A self-confessed former juvenile delinquent, Kate grew up in a northeast rural town where sorrows and celebrations are shared and secrets are hard to keep. She began reading Nancy Drew novels, graduated to Sidney Sheldon's intrigue-fueled thrillers by age 11, and began writing her own books the following year. Kate blames a peculiar addiction to soap operas in her youth and an overblown sense of curiosity for often landing her in trouble in her teens— Today, she prefers to write about trouble rather than experience it herself, and claims to spend much of her time trying to figure out why people do the things they do. Her first series, about a woman named Audrey Hart, explored some of the darker sides of humanity, and her latest release in a new series, entitled Seven Crows, features recently released convict and parolee Killian Delaney. Having just released last month, this novel forces its protagonist into a morally impossible choice and compels her to risk everything precious in her life. Welcome to Writers on the Beat, Kate. I greatly appreciate you making time to come to the studio and talk about this uh, this next release, Seven Crows. This is a fantastic book.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Uh, so I I just finished reading it, and normally uh, for for this show, I'd say I've read pieces of about 80 books this year, and I've only finished about maybe 25 to 30 of them. Oh, wow. Uh, just, just because, you know, at some point, something along the way loses interest or, you know, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't keep up the pace, especially on a thriller. Uh, I finished your book in two sittings.
1: Oh, and, oh, god. Okay, thank you.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. this This was a, a really fantastic book, and you know, especially as as a retired cop, right? I have a special love affair with you know the uh, the dark side of society. Um, do
1: you? Okay, great. We're gonna be fine and then, I do, I, <laughs> um, because I do too. And so now knowing that, I uh, now I'm finding you a little extra fascinating as well. So okay, yeah, here we go.
0: So, um, you know, I absolutely fell in love with Killian Delaney and her character. I, 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 I want to go have beer with her, maybe whiskey, just as long as (laughs) I can sit against the back wall and, uh, you know, I have an exit somewhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, she might feel the same way. Um, not quite sure how she'd, how she'd even approach that, but, um, Yeah. How did
0: she come to to exist?
1: Well, okay, so I have to jump back a little bit. Um, A couple of years ago, I started work on a young adult book about human trafficking. And um, and that's under being uh, uh, released under a different name uh, next year. And I discovered this documentary called I Am Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. and there was a mother in this documentary it's about um the people who went after Backpage and eventually okay. are responsible yeah. for bringing it down yeah. and there was a mother in there who had whose daughter had been trafficked and she found her daughter's ad and she oh my god made a date and went and saved her kit
0: that's incredible
1: right and mm-hmm. so the idea of that kind of Okay, somebody going to save this kid basically was, was where it started, and, and then I just knew that I just um, wanted to make Killian um, a little rougher around the edges, and mm-hmm. I think I was in love with John Wick at that moment, and um, <laughs> well, who's not? It's Keanu first yeah. of all, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's John Wick. Yeah. It's just they're just beautiful to watch. And um, I have a real thing for choreographed fights or fight scenes. Yep. And I just sit there with my mouth open. Like, you know, the, the show Daredevil on Netflix, if mm-hmm. you've ever watched yeah. it. Yep. The, the fights are just beautiful. Um, and I realized that there wasn't a lot of that geared towards women. Mm-hmm. And that we don't get a lot of female anti heroes that aren't completely psychotic. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. and so I thought, you know, I really want to write something kind of action-y for women. And then I discovered Gina Carano and um the UFC fighter mm-hmm. and and I went, yeah, okay. I I know what I'm doing now. So I basically took the movie Taken and uh yeah. the TV show Sons of Anarchy and because uh, if if you've watched Sons of Anarchy, the first episode is Jax Teller getting out of jail and yes. um, I created a female lead and, and ran with it, with all these different little ideas that I had had uh, of things I wanted to do. And um, I fell completely in love with this woman. She's just, I just love her so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is a fantastic story. And I, I absolutely love how fully three-dimensional you made the characters in the show thank uh, you. Sorry, in the show, in this
1: book. No, no. It, I'd love the, the fact that you made that little slip. That is, means everything to me mm-hmm. because that's how I wanted it to be. I wanted people to feel like this was a show or a movie.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely needs to be. So Netflix, if you're listening. <laughs> it, <laughs> you, please you,
1: Netflix, if you're listening. Yeah,
0: you need Killian Delaney on your schedule. Yeah. You're or, only cheating or, yourself.
1: Or some sweet, sweet Amazon money. One of the two.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Talking about women in, in fighting, I think that's one of the things I I, uh, it doesn't come up all that often, but occasionally something like this kind of organically happen. I, uh, I, I taught Krav Maga to, uh, my last law enforcement agency. Mm -hmm. We had such a, uh, a difficult time that, that is a fantastic fighting system. It's very efficient, very effective. There's no wasted movement or energy. It's very clean and natural. I, I can't say enough good things about Krav. Yeah. Um, we actually
1: have a friend who was in, who is from Israel and was in Oh wow, in the army. Yeah. My, my and now, yeah. yeah. Now he's like this like suave engineer who looks like a catalog <laughs> model, right? But
0: who can kick your ass. Yeah. Exactly. Six yeah. ways from Sunday. Yeah. One of the difficulties was really with our, our female officers in getting them to tap into their inner violence. Um, mm-hmm. And I was having a, a conversation with uh, Tori Eldridge, uh, another author who's A legit ninja. Um, Right on. And in discussing fighting and fight systems and, and training women, the way that she explained it is that the female psyche are generally afraid to hurt someone else, even if they deserve it. Yeah. And when she's been working with female practitioners, they deliberately have a conversation about giving them permission to harm someone else, to use physical force against an unjustified aggression. And... It's like this huge light bulb went off, and I'm like, I, I wish I would had this conversation ten years ago before I started teaching anybody, because yeah. this, like, that that's an an, a, an amazing reality that it's right in front of you the whole time, but you don't really appreciate that. So, you know, to have a unique character like Killian Delaney, <laughs> um, and and her background is is unbelievably refreshing. I, it's I can't say well, enough good you. things about her. Yeah.
1: Well, I think part of that comes from, I grew up with a bloodthirsty mother, which <laughs> sounds kind of funny. <laughs> um, so my mother was severely crippled with arthritis by the time I was oh, no. three or four years old. And she still just had this amazing backbone. And she would tell me stories from when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, she couldn't stand a bully. And the only time mom ever got physical was when other people were getting picked on. Mm. And she would tell me about how she clotheslined this <laughs> guy off his bicycle. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. And, and I grew up in this little town where the, the nearest, so I'm Canadian. So the nearest RCMP detachment mm-hmm. was about 20 to 25 minutes away. And it's a very small mud puddle of this little town. And mm-hmm. if you're familiar with small towns, you know that sometimes there's a certain lawlessness or yes. law unto itself.
0: Vigilantism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes with that. And, and I remember one time these young fellas had come around the house. They were all stoned up. And one of them had hit on my mother. And I don't think they meant anything intentional, but they were just, they just creeped everybody out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, dad came home and found out about it. My father was a lumberjack <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's in his late eighties now and he's still got more uh-huh. physicality than people. 20 years is his, his yes. junior. Anyway, he put a metal pipe in the back of the half ton and went looking for them. <laughs> so this is, thank you for laughing, Gavin. This is how I grew up. Okay can now, i
0: come to your next family reunion you sure oh, can
1: you sure can uh, and uh, i mean i punched a girl in the throat when i was 12 like i backhanded her and it was it, it was horrible but anyway yes. uh, horrible of me uh it's still a something i remember quite fondly in some ways yes. but um so but i wasn't much of a fighter mm-hmm. but um i also think it had something to do with the fact that I just knew that it was in me to do it if I needed to or whatever, or that, mm-hmm. you know, growing up yeah. with both mom and dad, you know, and I wonder if maybe that is with some women is that, um, cause I talked about this recently at a signing is that a lot of women don't resort to violence unless they they're fighting for themselves or somebody they care about. And mm-hmm. I think when women get to the point that they're going to do something physical, they're in it to win yes. it kind of thing. And so we are reluctant to hurt because, because, you know, there are some times when I'm just like, yeah, if I had a baseball bat, you know, he's like, so I think, I think that's part of it that, you know, you're going to face the consequence that there's going to be consequences and it has to be worth yes. it. My niece has this saying that uh, the juice has to be worth the squeeze. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, in, and, and as you know, in the book, Killian weighs everything against whether or not it's worth going back to prison. Yes. And and so that's just it. It's like, is this going to be worth the consequences? And God help you if a woman decides that you're going to be worth the consequences. Um, yeah, a- I think that's it. But yeah, women have to find different things to fight with, too. I mean, my mm-hmm. husband is about six feet tall, and I'm not ashamed. Well, I am ashamed, but I outweigh him, okay? Mm-hmm. And I should, by that token, when you think about that, I should be able to you know, best him in some way, but no, I can't, he is still yes. stronger than me yes. and he has a longer reach than I do. And yeah, the only thing you can do when you're outnumbered like that is you have to find uh, something creative, which is why, cause a, a woman in, at the signing that I was at recently kept bringing up Killian and the toaster. Yes. And, um, and I was like, yeah, well, what else, you know, she needed, a weapon and a weapon um, of
0: opportunity. Yeah. if
1: you want to watch a great movie with some really awesome female fight scenes, it, it's Atomic Blonde. Have you seen that?
0: Oh yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. And yeah. the
1: thing Charlize Theron does because she's you know fighting a lot of these guys that are just going to be stronger than her naturally, and I just love that she's she's using those incredible legs of hers. I mean, yeah, you know, and that's what a lot of women don't get is like a lot of times we have our strength is lower body. Yes. Well, you, you men have a lot of upper body and I'm just like, rabbit kick somebody. Oh my God. Get those, you know, get those legs in there too.
0: And, you know, and also going back to the, the, the ninja conversation, that was one mm. of the other aspects of that was that women, because of your smaller stature, that in and of itself is an advantage. If you play to it, a oh. woman's inside game, Is typically more potent than a man's. And there's positions that women can manipulate that men cannot. And most male female fights, right, devolve into, you know, bear hug brute force wrestling match. Yeah. Um, And women who are able to or expect that and are trained for it and know how to counter it will be very effective
1: have you have you watched um there's a uh, gina Carano did this movie and i i can't remember the name is it? it's like hard not hard target or something and there i'll have to look it up but there is a great fight scene between her and michael fassbender mm. wow and yes and i mean she's about what five foot eight 140 yeah. something like that and this this fight scene is amazing and she ends up with this uh, what sticks with me is she ends up with this beautiful run in her nylons because you know it's just i don't know it's just an image that sticks with me but yeah um there you believe that the two of them are beating the crap out of each other and she does a lot of grappling there's a lot of leg stuff Mm -hmm. and there too because she's got amazing legs um and yeah you have to if you're if you're fighting a guy you have to get a little bit creative i think
0: what kind of research did you put in to create this story, this character, and 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 her exploits to make it as as authentic as you did? Is I my first thought when I finished this book is that you have been to prison, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have professional <laughs> fighting experience. You've actually cut someone with a blade, um, <laughs> and you know you you probably have spent a serious amount of time around an outlaw motorcycle gang because oh my god, so many so many. Thank you so much. Of, well, so many aspects of, of the story in relation to those things was was so authentic from my own experience that I had to give you credit that that's where you got it.
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to uh, say thank you and um, give myself a pat on the back um, because I, no, <laughs> I've never, um, but I do believe if you're going to jump into a topic, you do need to research it and you need to feel it. Now, I am a woman of a certain age, Gavin. and i find that when that happens there's something that shifts Mm. and then again of course being you know raised in sort of this um this community like i just remember a lot of lawlessness like i said but it all felt very you know justified yes which again was another favorite tv show mine justified um that was a fantastic show yeah yeah Yeah, and walton goggins like just i could watch the two of them in a room together all day and um i think the thing is is like no i i've never been in a gang but i i have known some people who associate and i think that's kind of it i've i've known some people who have been in jail and um and i just like to listen to them and then put myself in that kind of situation and I don't know what it is, but and and I thank you for for saying all that. But I find it it's a lot easier for me to imagine what it's like to be that than it is for me to imagine what it's like to be somebody who's completely good. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know what that says about me, but um, but I thank you because I have never cut anybody other than myself. <laughs> uh, I've never been in jail, and I I I have been on the back of a Harley, but it's been a long mm-hmm. time.
0: One of the things that I believe is a key component of, of the human experience is kind of what we've been alluding to this this vigilanteism or kind of a natural order of mm-hmm. human relationships. And you know, I have no pause or bulk about you know your description of growing up in you know this, this town where people took care of themselves yeah. and s- sought your own justice and you know made things right. To me, that is so much more natural a human condition than what a lot of folks are raising their kids on today which is you know you're never it's never okay to hit somebody yeah violence is never the answer never participate in a fight you'll be punished for being there just as much as as starting it and to me uh that works really well in you know some suburban utopia (laughs) where everyone is nice and polite and we all agree on what ethics are right but the fact of the matter is Some people cohabitate our cities, towns, and and park next to us at the Circle K. Some Mm -hmm. people only speak motherfuck. Some people only understand violence. Mm -hmm. And they are only limited in what they're willing to do to someone else by how much it's going to hurt them to do it. That juice and the squeeze you talked about. And those people exist and they're walking around and to pretend that they don't exist, that... You know the 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 antagonists of your story are not real people.
1: It's just total ignorance because they're they're all around us. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was doing the research for the trafficking thing, I I became a, a mentor to a girl who had been trafficked, and um, I love her with all my heart. She's out there right now, uh, well, doing her thing. But she opened up a, a world to me that because I mean mm-hmm. I was used to like I said the rural lawlessness, but she introduced me to some herd stuff <laughs> and
0: yeah. uh it's depravity
1: yeah yeah and and the things that you know people will do to each other mm-hmm. and For yeah mine. and i i think you're right that being like you know i wasn't raised not to hit um but i was raised to you know not run around doing it indiscriminately yes and um and i was raised to never back down from a bully mm-hmm. and um and I think, yeah, I think if you if you teach your kids that it's never okay. I mean, I think you should teach your kids that you know maybe instigating violence isn't a good thing, or yeah, you know, whatever. But never teach them that standing up for themselves is a bad idea.
0: With all of your writing, it, it, we were talking in the in the green room. Um, you've written a number of publications.
1: Um, yeah, I've been doing you're... this for twenty years
0: now. <laughs> um, I find in talking to most writers that they had an early influence, a mentor, someone who, who put them on this track and, and encouraged them to, to pursue this passion. And I I wonder if you had someone like that.
1: Yeah, I've been blessed to have a few, I think, but, um, the, the earliest has to be my mother who we've discuss, discussed a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, I, I lost her several years ago now. But, um, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, thank you. Uh, but my mother was something else. And, and I think like I've told you she was a little bloodthirsty. And uh, <laughs> her favorite book was How Green Was My Valley. And wow. I don't know if you've ever read that, but she liked it because there was a scene or there was a storyline in which this young woman had been sexually assaulted. Now she didn't like mm-hmm. that part of it. What she liked was that when they caught the culprit, they turned him over to her brother and her father. (laughs) Yes. And, and she made me read the book and, and I will thank her for that. But I started out as a kid, I would write, well, I was very precocious and, and my sisters were nine, 12 and 14 years older than me. And then, you know, mom would read these harlequin romances and, and I was reading those and I was trying to write love scenes at, at age 10 and mom was just like, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but she never tried to stop me. And yep. by equal measure, I was writing horror as well, mm-hmm. because you know what you're like at 10 and, and I, and this was in the eighties. So it was like yes. the Freddie and Freddie Krueger and Jason Voorhees, Jason. Yep. Um, you know, and I think one of the earliest memories is prom night. And, you know, so um, <laughs> I was writing that kind of stuff. And I remember, the most common thing I heard from my mother in those days was, Oh, Catherine, where do you come up with this stuff? But she never tried to stop me and she Mm -hmm. always encouraged it. And, uh, we were poor, very poor. And I remember coming downstairs. Um, it was the Christmas I was 17 and sitting in the living room was a desk, which was, you know, just like this unfinished desk. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with a okay I'm dating myself here but with an electronic typewriter. Oh yeah, on no, top that... of it. And on top of it and that was um and her standing there so proud of herself cuz she had saved to buy me this. Wow. And I'm sorry yeah, so I'm getting a little of clamp. So <laughs> um and that was yeah, she would be the most um most influential in my life ever. But I also had a teacher in high school by the name of Larry Bent. If you're out there, Larry, God love you. And um, he would encourage me to write. And he would tell me to, you know, I would, I would finish up work in class ahead of some of the other kids. And so he'd say, go to the library because um, he knew I was a Doors fan. He knew I liked that old mm-hmm. music. And he'd say, go to the library, get a book on Janis Joplin, read it, and then we're going to talk about her. And so he would spend sometimes would spend lunch hours with me and we would talk about stuff and we would share writing with each other. And he. That's so cool. Yeah. He was the first adult to treat me as an equal mm-hmm. and support my writing. And I, so I think, you know, the two of them, you know, mom and, and Larry bent were the two big ones when I was younger. And then when I was in my late twenties, um, and I'd been, you know, dating this guy for a few years. And uh, I later had the good sense to marry him. And he just said to me, like, why don't you do it? Like, write this book. And he supported me then. And he was he's been my biggest fan. And he's read just about everything I've written. And he's still, you know, still there supporting me to this day. So um, That's fantastic. yeah. So I'd say, you know, mom, Larry Benton, my husband, Steve <laughs> have been, um, have, have always had my back. So I probably wouldn't have been, wouldn't have decided to do this if it weren't for the three of them.
0: Without having a, a support network that both, you know, in, encourages, criticizes, and, and, and really kind of embraces this, it would be really hard to put out a piece of your soul to the universe. Oh,
1: my God. So
0: incredibly personal, especially now in the age of the internet, right? Oh, my God. You you get instant feedback from every keyboard warrior who's really upset about some minute aspect. My first
1: book, that's the guy launched in the internet age. My first book came out in 2001. I can't tell you the first good review I got about that book, but I still remember the first bad one. Mm -hmm um which i think is just you know so sad yes and they called my work drivel <laughs> wow and, and you know and now though you know recently uh pw you're familiar with publisher's weekly mm-hmm. reviewed seven crows and they said of killian that she was um she was no lisbeth salander and and i was like well she wasn't trying to be lisbeth salander yeah. and and that's about as upset as i got about it i mean now they just sort of <laughs> they they roll yeah. off me um, but I I find now that I'm taking the time to appreciate the good reviews more and just sort of sweep the bad ones away.
0: I am just so in love with this character. Like I, I
1: so appreciate that
0: when I first finished the book and I write some content for a, a, another website and so we have a, a review actually coming out pretty soon on oh yay on, on Seven Crows and the opening of that review. Going back to the beginning of this Mm -hmm. one is that killian delaney is effectively a female john wick Um, (gasps) that is oh
1: that just makes me smile
0: (laughs) this story is is so darkly beautiful i just really appreciate how well you take people into into this world and show them the darker underbelly and turns out not all bad people are bad right
1: No. Well, you know, I think some of that came from, I had an epiphany years ago, and I won't use any names to protect the innocent, but um, I have a friend um, who had been dating another friend, and um, so we just fell in love with this guy. And then we found out, uh, he revealed to us that he had done some serious time Mm -hmm. for a very serious crime. And I, I so appreciate the fact that we got to know him first. Yes. Because like I said, we fell in love with him. And at first it was kind of hard to reconcile. But of course me, I don't know, with this brain of mine and how it works, you know, he's offered, you know, like, look, I'll help you with any research I can. And, and I've had to say to him, no, like you are my friend, not research. Don't do that because I will abuse right. you. But it was a beautiful eye-opening experience that the most wonderful people can are, are capable of terrible things. And- I'm I'm constantly heartbroken over the amount of guilt he still carries. But um it that was just such a, an eye opener. I mean, there's nobody that's completely good and this is why my romance career fizzled out <laughs> because <laughs> um because I was getting notes from my editor saying things like he's not behaving much like a hero right now. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, "No, he's behaving like a guy. What's your problem?" <laughs> right? Yeah. Like or yeah. why can't she do that? Why does she have to be nice all the time? And, um, I'm just not interested in writing about people who were 100% good or 100% bad.
0: Although well, I, I think that's where, that's where the interesting things happen is in that gray area of you mm-hmm. know, the, the morally questionable.
1: And I love the gray area. Thank you for yeah. bringing it up.
0: And, you know, so like I started out writing crime series based on my own training and experience in caseload and, About a year and a half ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting around the table. I I don't even remember what the impetus of the conversation was, but the conclusion of it was that I should write a conspiracy series um, Mm -hmm. about a morally questionable priest who used to be a cop (laughs) and how he internally... Deals with all of the terrible things that he hears in confession, and all the things that he knows about victims and uh, Mm. perpetrators in his little society. Oh my god! How how does he reconcile what he knows with what he can and cannot do now that he's a priest and not a cop? And so he gets pushed into some some pretty pretty grievous things, and then deals with them in a very human way. And you know, it's been really interesting to me to see uh, what some of the feedback has been on on that about how, you know, our, mm. our
1: stereotypes of priests. Mm. You know, as soon um, as we're done this, I'm going and looking those books. <laughs> 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 I want to read that. Um, but, you
0: know, so some of the, you know, the stereotypes that society has about what priests are and what they're not um, has weighed very heavily in, in how all of that has been received. And I, I think it's, you know, it turns out um to me, they're, they're human, just like everybody else. Uh,
1: yeah. Um I love that idea. And I, I particularly love when you start taking these people who in society are supposed to be above us all. Mm-hmm. So when you take priests or nuns or yes. cops, teacher, you know, whatever, and you do mm-hmm. make them that kind of, um, you know, because that's the, that's the most interesting conflict. It's not when it's conflict between them and other people. It's when it's conflict between the character and, you know, themselves. Yes. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to look those up now because I'm like, oh, that sounds so, so fascinating. But I've always wanted to do a series um, of sort of like nuns mm-hmm. <laughs> but, that um, are disciples of uh, Santa Muerte.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And and do my own little thing on that because, um, you know, I realize that when people mm-hmm. embrace their true nature and not just that, when you have embraced your mortality, there's just something something beautiful happens when people mm-hmm. let go a lot of what they think they should be doing.
0: Yeah. The the things yeah. that we put on for the benefit of society.
1: Um, yeah, I think so because, you know, it's funny. I'm a very silly person, Gavin. Um, I am I
0: a, from the context of this interview, it's right. Nothing I'm, I'm nothing just, I, silly.
1: yes, right. right, right. Um, my husband refers to me as his ball of chaos and he means <sighs> it affectionately, but I mean, I have purple hair. I'm sitting here, in in disney pajamas right now doing this interview and um and i do i like silly goofy little things and i you know and all that all that good stuff and um you know i had a friend one time say to me because i talked about something and it you know it was like when somebody had hurt somebody else and i was just like oh if i'd been there i would have just smacked them or something Mm -hmm. and she told me that i shouldn't talk so tough because someday somebody might believe it wow And, and I just looked at her. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And she said, well, they might actually think that, you know, you're capable of something like that. And I realized that she thought that just because I'm dressed like a, you know, probably a giant cupcake at the time, um, that assumed that I, that I couldn't, or that I wasn't capable Mm -hmm. of following through. And, and I was just like, I don't make threats, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Like, I don't go looking for conflict. Um, And the reason I don't go looking for conflict is because I like it.
0: Yes. You know, there's a certain
1: amount. I have a a crazy neighbor. (laughs) and He'll never listen to this, but um, who cursed me out. And, um, and since you already dropped the MF bomb, I know it's okay to swear on her. (laughs) So he's he's crazy. And he was mad at me for feeding squirrels. And we had a little nest of squirrels on our deck and, and he was so mad about it. And he's screaming at squirrels in the backyard. And I'm like, buddy, that's nature. You're not going to get rid of the squirrels, but, you know, fill your boots. And, and he keeps telling the squirrels to, like, come to my house. And I just happened to look out the window. And he's like, what are you looking at, you fat fuck? Oh. And I was like, oh. So I got a jar of peanuts, walked out on my back deck, and started throwing peanuts all over my lawn and his for the squirrels. Yeah. Right, And I'm like, what are you going to do now? And he just hasn't spoken to me since. <laughs> but I find wow. myself, you know, I'm glad my husband wasn't home at the time because he always says I'm going to do something to get myself shot.
0: The reason so many people run their mouth rampantly at everyone around them is because they haven't tasted their own blood in a long time. Yeah. And, you know, if every time you said something that was totally despicable to another human being, you got punched you would stop doing that. <laughs> you would like to think,
1: right, that people yeah. would shut up.
0: In my experience and in the conversations I've had over the last year, uh, writers consistently are among the most avid readers. Mm. And I wonder who uh, your favorite fictional investigator is in, oh. in books, TV,
1: or film. My God. Um, I love... Karen Slaughter's books, have you read her? Yes. Oh,
0: she, she is she has one of my votes for thriller of the year.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I love with, Will uh, Trent. Widow. Oh, yes. I the guy. you know what? I haven't that's on my Kindle. I Haven't mm-hmm. read it yet. Um I'm so far behind, but You're only cheating yourself. It's, it's Okay. So yeah, I know. I I actually met her at a Thriller Fest and I got so tongue-tied that I said something completely <laughs> stupid to her. And it doesn't happen very often, but I was just like, I mean, I've gone up to um, R.L. Stein. I have teased Mm -hmm. him mercilessly. The poor man doesn't even know who I am. But, um, (laughs) you know, and he but Karen Slaughter, I was just like, oh, no, I want to be you when I grow up. So I have a bit of a uh, girl Mm -hmm. crush on her. But um, I love her. I absolutely, absolutely love Gillian Flynn's writing. Mm -hmm. I wish she would write another book because I just find her sublime. Oh, when I was young, it was Sidney Sheldon. He just introduced me to a dark and twisted world where people will conceal what they really are. And that was my first taste of that. Uh, Oh, God, who else? I mean, there's there's a lot. And I know I'm just going to be not thinking of people. And um, I have this friend, Holly Overton. Uh, She is also a screenwriter, but she writes for the same publisher I do. And that's how I discovered her. And she has this wonderful way of making these kind of strangely twisted people that you don't expect to be twisted or people who will do anything for people they care about, which, um, Mm -hmm. you know, appeals to me. Whoever the writers were on Justified, loved them. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kurt Sutter, you know, Four Sons of Anarchy, Mm -hmm. even though I will never forgive him for what he did to Opie. (laughs) Um, And I stopped watching the show shortly thereafter because of that. And seriously, if I ever meet the man, I'm going to walk up to him. I'm going to be like, dude, what you did to Opie. Uh-uh. Yeah, not um, cool. No, not cool. <laughs> Opie was my favorite. Um, yeah, I guess that's who I've got off the top of my head right now. Oh, and the people who are writing Mindhunter on Netflix.
0: Based on that last answer, I mm-hmm. asked this last question of all the authors on the show, but God forbid it should come to pass, Kate. Okay. But tomorrow, if you were to wake up and find that you've been murdered, okay, what... F- What fictional investigator would you assign your homicide case?
1: Oh, dear. Well, Sherlock's just Ponzi, and he's a (laughs) know-it-all, and so I don't think I'd want him on it. I think if I wanted somebody to really figure out who did it, oh my goodness, I would want Jessica Fletcher on it. (laughs)
0: You are the second Jessica Fletcher vote on the show. Really?
1: I because yeah. yeah. she's tenacious, man. She'll figure it out.
0: Yes. But yeah. if I
1: want anybody to do anything about it, it's, it's going to have to be Killian. Yes. <laughs> if I want to be avenged <laughs> in any way, I need I need her to take care of uh, that.
0: You've been listening to Writers on the we where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been acclaimed novelist, Kate Kessler. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.